want you to turn your attention to the side screens, and I'm going to read a passage of Scripture, which is not our primary passage of Scripture this morning, but it really lends itself toward, it lands where I, where I want to go with this. So Luke chapter 5, it said, One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. And he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and he asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deeper water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and we haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down my nets. And when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets, this is one of my favorite stories, by the way, that their nets, <laughs> that's, that's my favorite part of the whole story right there, that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boats to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, get away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they'd taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. And then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch what? You will catch people. And we learn very quickly that Jesus has something for us. There's all these things that Christ has for us, a long list, but there is something that he wants from us. He has all these things that he has for us. He has forgiveness. He removes our guilt. He removes our shame. He gives us eternal life. He gives us his spirit. He gives us his scriptures. He gives us the church. He gives us a hope. He gives us a future. But there is one thing we learn quickly that Jesus does want from us. He has all this for us, but there's something that he wants from us. And we learn very quickly that followers of Jesus Christ, they begin to fish. Followers fish. In this early church scene, about 50 days after Jesus was you know, led to the cross, there's this day called Pentecost. And Pentecost is when the Holy Spirit comes into the church, and it's the very first major church service. And on that day, 3,000 people became Christians in, in one day. It's an amazing story. And the movement now is going. The, the, the mission of the church is, is a movement. Yesterday, even in the storms yesterday, Denise and I and our family, we went out in between Caladesi and in between Honeymoon, and the current was just ripping, just ripping. We tried to anchor, and the water was so strong. This movement is ripping. This is, a not, this is not a knockoff Jewish faith. This is not a stagnant farm pond with green algae all over it. This is a rushing, mighty water, and the movement is exploding even in the midst of persecution. And we see that the church goes from 3,000 to 5,000, from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. It is a movement, all under persecution, all under intense, crazy persecution. And for the first 300 years, Christianity was basically illegal in Rome and to the Romans. And every Roman emperor basically said, we're going to persecute you. And people were persecuted in small areas, in large areas, and there was intense persecution until a Roman general who became the emperor by the name of Constantine said, all right, I know Christianity's been illegal for 300 years, but now it's legal. 
It's good. Everybody's good. And they're going, what? So for 300 years, Christianity's been illegal, and it explodes, 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 and now Christianity is legal. And Constantine said, by the way, it's not just legal, but it's a really good idea if you become a Christian. Because I'm the emperor, I'm the emperor of Rome, and I'm a Christian, so you should be a Christian too. And so lots and lots of people start becoming Christians, and the movement stops. The movement becomes the stagnant farm pond with green algae all over it. The movement became an institution. And what began to happen is if you owned the church building, if you had the keys to the church, then you could kind of control the church. If you had the keys to the church building, an institution, then you could control the pulpit. You could control the scriptures. In fact, in this period of history, the Bible was actually chained to the pulpit. And nobody had the right to read from it. No one had the right to interpret the Bible except a few of the clergymen, a few of the spiritual leaders of the church. And if you owned the keys to the church, you owned the Bible, you owned the pulpit, you owned the people, and ultimately, you owned the government. Well, something happened in 1453. And in 1453, it appeared to be a tragedy, and it was a tragedy for Rome, but it became a triumph for the church. In 1453, the Ottoman Empire invades the Roman Empire. And the Ottomans invade, and what happens then is, is all these scholars grab these manuscripts of the Bible. The Latin Vulgate, the Greek New Testament, the Hebrew Old Testament, they take all these different basically manuscripts, and they flee Rome, and they go to Europe. And when they get to Europe, there was a guy by the name of John Huss. And John Huss said, no, wait, 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 this doesn't make sense. This doesn't make sense that the Bible's chained to the pulpit. That's not what the Bible says. Everybody should be able to read the Bible. And so John Huss began to say, you know what? We need to have everybody have the opportunity to read the scriptures. It was 1522 a man by the name of William Tyndale. And William Tyndale gets into this major public debate with another one of the clergy members. And William Tyndale said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to put the Bible in the common man's hand. And here's a quote from William Tyndale. He and this guy had a big conflict. And William Tyndale said to this man, this clergyman, if God spares my life, before many years, I will make it possible for a boy behind the plow to know more scripture than you do. He was talking to this particular preacher, which wasn't a compliment, okay? And four years later, in 1526, William Tyndale translates the Bible into English. And he then begins to smuggle English Bibles into England, and some as well got into Germany. And so that would be a good thing, right? Everybody would like William Tyndale, but the church didn't. The church declared him a heretic, And the church was out to take his life, and William Tyndale hid for 10 years. And after 10 years, somebody betrayed him. They took William Tyndale, put him on a pole, strangled him with a rope, burned his body, and scattered his remains all over the ground. Not exactly a great way to end your life, right? Not the kind of retirement program that, you know, church planners want to have. William Tyndale got the Bible into the people's hands, and the movement's back on. 
the movement's on. And there were men in Germany, and there were men in France, and there were men in Scotland, there were men in Switzerland, and all these men began what's known as the, the, the Reformation. And this, this, they're going to reform the church. And all these guys, John Calvin, and John Zwingli, and John Knox, and I don't know about John, they couldn't think of another name, I guess. They were all named John. But all these guys began this incredible movement, and the church was back on. And the church was moving and moving and moving again. And what we learn in our New Testament scriptures today, I mean, you have the Bible today because of William Tyndale. If William Tyndale could see that you can read your Bibles, Dave read communion, John, off of his phone, right? If, if, if William Tyndale could have, of course, he had a clue what a phone was, but he had no concept of what he was doing, how everybody, you, you listen on your iPad, your iPod, you get to listen to Scripture, you get to read the Bible in multiple translations. William Tyndale got the Bible into your hands and into my hands. And that's how the movement goes. And as we read the Scriptures, we learn that followers fish. It doesn't take too long for us to realize that God has all these things for us. He is so much for you, but he asks one thing of you. He does ask that followers fish. Now, let's talk about the pushback for just a minute. Because I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, you know what? I, I, I'm afraid to do this. I, I don't really know how to do this. I'm afraid somebody's going to ask me a question that I can't answer. They will. They ask me a question every month. Every month, there's a question that I don't have an answer to. Maybe, maybe you're a quiet person. Maybe all your friends are Christians. Maybe none of your friends are Christians. Maybe you're thinking about how in the world could you share your faith to your family. My family, none of them are believers. My workplace, my workplace, they're all believers. But my workplace, my workplace, none of them are believers. I mean, I don't know your context, but I do know this. I do know that followers fish. It's the only thing Christ asks us to do. He has all these things for us, and he does want something. He does want something from us. So how do we go about doing this? Well, in Matthew chapter 28, it's called the Great Commission. And in Matthew chapter 28, Jesus ends his gospel with this great passage of scripture that we all call the Great Commission. And in this great commission, Jesus tells his disciples to take his message and to go into all the world and to make disciples, to go, to baptize, and, and to teach different people. So I, I want to look, us to look at some of these scriptures right now to Matthew chapter 28. So Matthew chapter 28, you see, I, I think you already do this. Before we get all freaked out about followers fish and how do we invest and invite people, I, I think you already do this. I mean, if you had a great boat mechanic, you tell other people about your boat mechanic. You had a great car mechanic, you tell people about your car mechanic. You go to a great restaurant that you really like. You t I think we already do this. And so I don't think this is far more difficult than what we already are doing in other areas of our life. So in Matthew chapter 28, it says, Then the eleven went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. Verse 17. When they saw him, they worshipped him. But, but some doubted. This doesn't make sense. How could some of the 11 
doubt. And what most Bible teachers are convinced of in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, where it says more than 500 of the brothers and sisters showed up at one time to the resurrected Lord, most Bible teachers believe that it wasn't just the 11, it was about 500 people that were there. So on this mountain, this huge hillside, you know, there's hundreds and hundreds of people, and some people recognized the, the resurrected Jesus, and some people thought, who, who in the world is that? Verse, verse 18. Then Jesus came to them, and he said, all authority, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I, I've, I've earned it. I now have all authority, and he's going to give the people then a commission. He's going to commission them to do something. I have all these things that I will give for you. There is something that I want from you. When Jesus says all authority, just just stop and think about this for just a minute. While he was on the earth, what was Christ's authority? Well, he had authority over sickness, He had authority as a teacher. Remember, people said no one's ever taught like this. He had authority over disease. He had authority over demons. He he had authority over um, uh, people who could, he said, I will lay down my life and I I will take up my life. In Revelation chapter 5, it talks about he has the title deed to the earth. Jesus Christ had authority on the earth. Then he goes to the cross. Then he raises from the dead. And now he says this. He says, by the way, I got all authority, guys. It it all belongs to me. In heaven, on earth, all authority is mine. And so when he asks us to invest and invite, when he asks us as followers to fish, he gives us his authority. So we're not like doing this on our own. We're not like trying to meet people and reach people and help people. We're not doing this because we're not quite sure how to do it. He says, I already have authority over disease and sickness and death and demons. I got all this authority. I'm going to give this to you. And I'm going to give you the ability to fish, followers, fish. And so here's the classic verse then, chapter 28. He says, all authority. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Now, I, I love this little verse out of Daniel. This is now like a road trip, and we're just pulling into the rest area, okay? This is like a left turn in the sermon, but I like this scripture, and I want to share it, and I'm preaching. <laughs> so this is about Christ's authority from the book of Daniel, Even Daniel knew that there was a Messiah who would have all authority. I just want to share this really cool verse for you out of Daniel chapter 7. Here's Daniel. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. And he approached the ancient of days. This is a name for God. God's name here in the Hebrew is ancient of days. And he approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. He was given authority. This is the Messiah. This is God's future son. Daniel wrote this, had a vision about the future Messiah and his authority hundreds of years before Jesus was ever born in Bethlehem. He was given authority, glory, sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshiped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. And so in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, here's what Jesus says. 
Here's what Jesus tells them to do. Go, go and be baptized. Go and make disciples of all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. What is he saying for us to do? He's saying for us as believers, I want you to go into your world. I want you to go into your school. I want you to go into your spheres of influence. Wherever you hang out, wherever you camp out, wherever you do life, I want you to share that you're a believer. I want you to be able to tell other people that you believe in me and in my son and in what we're doing. So he says to go and make disciples. Now, how do you make a disciple? A disciple is just a learner. A disciple is just somebody who follows. A disciple doesn't have their whole act together. A disciple isn't perfect. A disciple isn't holier than thou. A disciple is somebody that's trying to get their act together. He says, go and make disciples of all nations and baptizing them. Now, why, why do we baptize 74 people this past Sunday? Because baptism was the identification into this new way. The greatest event in all of history was Jesus' death, his burial, and his resurrection. In Christian baptism, you identify with the greatest event in all of history. In Christian baptism, you die to yourself, you bury your past, and you rise to walk to a new life. And so therefore, he says, go and make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So how do we do this? Well, let me tell you some ways that we don't do this. How do you and I share our faith with other people? What, what, what does that look like? What, what does that mean? Well, I think, first of all, what it, what it doesn't mean is that we don't just show up and throw up on people. I, I don't think we show up in their workplace and all of a sudden just say, hey, are you sanctified? Are you justified? Are you glorified? They're going, I'm fried. Who are you? We, we, we don't talk like that. I don't think we show up in people and try to quote scripture to them all the time. Have a scripture verse for every comment that they have. Somebody's new in your office and you stick your head in their door and they say, you ask them, how, how are you? And, and, and they say, you know, let's say they're the Christian and, and, and you're not. And, and they say to you, well, you know, praise the Lord, brother. The Lord's light, light in my salvation. Whom shall I be afraid of? I'm doing great. Wow, wow, are things like, like things, are, things are going well? Oh, the Lord, is, the Bible's a lamp to my feet, a light into my path. Things, are, things couldn't be better, brother. Things couldn't be better. Well, I, I just want to see if you wanted to have lunch. Hey, Bible says, you know, man does not live by bread alone. But let's go, let's go, let's go to lunch. I, I, I mean, that, that is such a turnoff to the unchurched world that doesn't understand what you're trying to do. I, 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 I wouldn't prejudge them. I wouldn't pre-decide who's in and who isn't. When I was a young pastor, I just knew all these really nice people in Memphis that I was kind of hanging out with. I just knew all the nice people were going to become Christians and get baptized. And I just knew that all these, you know, kind of rough around the edges, kind of heathen people, didn't really know much scripture. I just knew that, you know, they were going to be in jail at any time. And just the opposite happened. Some of those really nice people never gave their lives to Christ. And some of those people that were just really rough around the edges, they recognized their need of God, and they surrendered to Christ. I, I, I wouldn't prejudge. I, I wouldn't. And I would never give up on praying for people. I would never give up on praying for people. Marsha Braswell from Memphis prayed for P.K. Seedman for 36 years, her boss. And he was 92 years old when he gave his life to Christ. 
We have two sisters from this church that were praying for their mother. I think she was 95. And uh, just meaner than a junkyard dog. This woman was tough. And they set me up in her living, her kitchen one time to talk to her. And the woman gave her life to Christ five or six days before she went into a coma. And she died. It's, 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 you, you never give up on people. You never, you never stop praying for people. So you never know what God's going to do. So what do you do? What do you do? How do we fish If followers fish, how do we go about doing this today? Well, I think, first of all, that that we love people. I think, first of all, you have to love people and see people like Jesus does. And Jesus sees every person with spiritual needs and spiritual concerns. And Jesus looks into everybody's eyes and everybody's heart, and Jesus knows that no matter what they've said or what they've done or how bad they are or how far they've strayed or what kind of things they've said, Jesus knows that his blood is powerful enough to forgive them of all of their sins. I I think when we invest in people, I think we listen. I'm trying to listen more now when I talk with people about their faith. I'll I'll invite somebody to church and they'll say, I don't go to church. And I'll say, tell me me why. And I'm not trying to sell them. I'm not trying to just wait for for them to take a deep breath so I can give them the four spiritual laws and choke Jesus down their throat. I want to know, why don't you go to church? And most often it's a bad church experience. Most often it was somebody in their family or somebody in their church that just led them down a dark path. And it was a, they weren't against God. They just had it was the, the people inside. So, so I, I, I'm learning to listen. Tell me why you don't go to church. Well, I, I don't believe in the Bible. I think the Bible's full of myths. Really? Tell me about that. What, what if you, and by the end of the conversation, you know, they haven't even read the Bible. Isn't that amazing? It's the only book that people have an opinion about that they've never read. If you were to ask me about a certain Shakespeare book that I've never read, what's my opinion? I would say, I don't have an opinion. I've never read the book, but not with the Bible. Everybody's an expert on the Bible whether they've read it or not. So you just listen, and you begin to listen, and you, and you, and you ask them some questions. So you love them, and you listen to them, and you realize that they're not your project, They're not our project. We just simply are one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. That's really all we are. We're not better than anybody else. We might be better off spiritually, but we're not better than anybody else. And so what do we do? How do we fish for people? Well, again, I think there's a lot of wrong things that you can do. But I think there's three or four things that you get good at. And I think one of those is that you just invite people to church. You invite them. You invite them. You ask them. Why would we do that? John chapter 17 verse 3 says this. John says, this is eternal life. They may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. You know what the best part of my whole faith is? The best part of my faith is my personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I love church, and I love you, and I love coming, and I love connect groups, and I love prayer groups, and I love all that stuff. 
But, but to miss Jesus Christ in the midst of all this is to miss the essence of really who and why we're here and who, who and what we worship. Now, I want to share one, one more thing with you that I think is just really important. You see, I don't think we're out to hook people. You look at advertisements, watching TV last night for just a little bit, trying to find the race game, and just, just, just looking for advertisements. You just look through there, and you'll have like four car commercials. doesn't matter what the car company is. General Motors or Ford or Toyota or Honda or Subaru, it doesn't matter. But, but they're trying to hook you. They're trying to hook you to buy a car, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's what they do. That's called marketing. And so whether you need a new car or not, the job of the commercial is to hook you that you need the car, right? Now, this Maybelline commercial came on. It actually did actually nothing for me, but all the women were leaning in, watching the commercial. You know, I could care less about Maybelline. But, but Maybelline was to convince you that if the barn needs painting, you need to buy this because you need to paint the barn, right? So it, it's, trying to conv- it's, try- it's trying to hook you to buy something. If you didn't get that, don't worry about that. Kind of an old farmer's term, just let that go, all right? All the commercials are trying to hook you. Those of you that are in marketing and you're selling, you're salesmen, there's nothing wrong with that. That's what you do. You're trying to hook people. We're not trying to hook people. We are not trying to hook people. I think we're the only ones in the world that are not trying to hook somebody. We're not trying to hook, we're trying to help people. We have the answers. We know what to do. We have the answers to every problem in their life. We're not trying to hook people. We're trying to help people. We're trying to help people with their sins. We're trying to help people with their greatest problems, sin, sorrow, and death. And so in our role as fishermen and as followers, we're not trying to hook you. Like this morning, if you're not a Christian, you're not my project. I love you. I want you to come to Christ, but you're not my project. This is between you and God. Now, my job is to help you and equip you and maybe point out some things and turn on some lights and build some bridges, but, but my, I'm not to hook you. I, I want to help you. And the greatest person who ever lived was Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ wants you to surrender your life to him. And so what, what do we do? We care. <laughs> why, why do we do this? Because we care. Why, why do we care? Because somebody was praying for us. And somebody invited us. And somebody shared Christ with us. And I don't know those 74 people that got baptized, but if you could kind of like do a family tree or some kind of spiritual background and see all the different people who were involved in those 74 people's lives, I bet it would be thousands, thousands of prayers, thousands of teachers, thousands of people who somehow impacted those 74 people's lives. Why? Because we care. Now the guy at Starbucks asked me that question. Why do you keep inviting me to church? I said, because I care about your future. I care about your destiny. Why, why do you care about my destiny? I said, well, you know, I've never really thought about that before. But as I'm processing that, I said to him, because God cared about my destiny. And if God cared enough about my destiny, 
the only thing he asks me to do is to really invest and invite people. So again, I think the simplest thing to do is just invite people to church. I, I don't know how, that's not hard to do, is it? To invite people to church? I think that's easy. When it's a healthy church and a good church, a church, I, I think that's re- relatively simple. And so the decision for us is what are we going to do with what Jesus has done for me? And we realize John 3.16 for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. How can I not invite people? How, how can I? It doesn't matter whether they come or not. It doesn't matter whether you know, they, they ridicule. And, and by the way, I find very few people ridicule. I think that was in the 70s and 80s. I, I don't find people ridiculing today. That, 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 that's old school. People ridiculed back then, but people today are beginning to realize that nothing else is working. They've tried sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Nothing's worked. They've tried it all. People are not ridiculing faith. Faith is in today. Faith is in. And so the question would be, what kind of a decision are you going to make about this? And we've asked you to make decisions this entire week, this entire uh, series. But this last one is, I have decided to invest and invite. That's what I'm going to do. I have decided to invest and I've decided to invite. And so I I want to challenge you with this. It's not like a one-time deal. It's not like your neighbor one time, the average person takes seven to nine invitations. Did you know that? Takes seven to nine invitations for the average person comes to church. Seven to nine. We give up on three. Seven to nine. Make a list. I've invited him nine times. He's going to hell. Sorry. I mean, I don't care what you do. Okay. Whatever you, however you want to handle this. That's up to you. Okay. I'm sorry. Forgive me. Um, but I have decided. My people at work, I'm just going to invite them to church. I've decided my neighbors, I'm just, I'm just going to invite them to church. I've decided my friends, I'm just going to invite them to church. I've decided my family. And family's good at like Christmas and Easter. Find those pivotal times when you, when you I, I, I'm just going to invest and invite. And then I want you to put a number to it. I want you to put some feet to this. Now, I don't expect you to have my goal. I got the preacher card and that gives me some leverage. I, I realize that. I, I do. I get that. But my goal is three a day. My goal is every day, invite three people to come to Harborside every single week. I mean, every day. Every day is three. Not every week. Every day. And I tell you, some days it's noon. I got four or five. And some days it's six or seven o'clock at night. And some days it's zero. And the next day it might be five or six. I don't expect you to do what I do. I got the preacher card, right? That's what Jonathan says. Jonathan says, you got the preacher card and that's an advantage. I, I agree. I agree. But you see, what Jesus said was, go into the world. Go into your world. And what's your school? What's your workplace? What's your family? Maybe it's one a day. Some of you are outgoing, egregious kind of people. You're good at this. Maybe for some of you, it's, it's one a week. Maybe for some of you, it's, it's, it's one a month. But followers fish. And we're just asking you to make a decision. I have decided 
that I'm going to invest and I'm going to invite. You know what really blows me away with this whole faith thing about Jesus? When Jesus says, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me, you know what blows me away about that? It's his response. I mean, he, he could have, like, condemned the world. I've come, okay, I got all authority. Y'all didn't believe in me. I'm going to slam you. I'm going to condemn you. Okay, I'm going to criticize you. I'm going to judge you. All right, you guys are, you know, you didn't accept me. You're going straight to hell. He didn't do any of that. In fact, what Jesus did was he just demonstrated his passion and compassion for people. I didn't come to condemn the world. I came to save the world. I came that you might have life and have life abundantly. Jesus did just the opposite of what a unruly dictator would do. Jesus poured out his heart. He said, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I, I will give you rest. And so this morning, I'm going to ask you if you've never done it, I'm going to ask you to give your life to Christ. I'm going to ask you to join the mission of our church. We had hundreds of people last week join the mission of our church. I'm going to ask you to to be baptized. I think we got four already signed up for our next baptism already. I'm going to ask you to make some of those decisions. But more importantly than anything else, for those of us who are believers, we wake up and we get out of bed. Lord, who are you going to put in my path today? Who can I invest in? Who can I listen to? They're not my project. Who can I love? You don't go to church? Tell me why. You don't believe in the Bible? Tell me why. You don't? Well, just t- t- tell me why. Oh, that's a good point. We don't have that at Harborside. It's a healthy church. Crazy preacher, healthy church. It's great. I mean, you have the answers for all of this to help the people in your sphere of influence. I'm going to ask our prayer partners to come down front. I'm going to ask you to stand at this time. And maybe today is your day to give your life to Jesus Christ. I, I can't think of a greater thing for you to do today than to say, okay, I want to have Jesus as the Lord and Savior in my life. Maybe you want to sign up for Christian baptism. Go to the Connect desk. I can't promise you there won't be lightning next time. I can't promise you a safe environment, but I can promise you a thrill of a ride. Amen. So go sign up. But I want you to put some feet to this today. I have decided that one a day, one a month, one a week, three a day, whatever, I want you to put some feet to this. And then, see, he has all authority. And he has that authority. He can give you the ability then to invest and invite, to invest and invite, to invest and invite. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Oh, ancient of days, you've given Christ all authority in heaven, on earth, under the earth. And today, we just want to say to you, you've given all these things for us. You want something from us. We're your hands and we're your feet. We're your mouthpiece. And Father, if there are those in the room that really want and need to give their lives to Jesus, let them walk down to the prayer partners. Let them come down to one of these wonderful men or women and just share their, 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 their need of you. And we'll pray with them and we'll help them to give their lives to Christ. Father, maybe there are people in the room who've got family and friends that are not Christians. And the clock is ticking. 
and they're not in good health, maybe today someone would like a prayer partner to pray for salvation and evangelism over one of these people. We're just asking you to work, God, in a great way, and we love you so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.